You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Angel boy in the doorway, boy. She was a lipstick boy. She was a beautiful boy and tears, boy, and all in your inner space, boy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are now floating in Scream Celica. My name's Kevin Graham, and as usual on this fine Tuesday evening, I'm joined by Russell Boyce. Russell, what's happening? How are we doing, Kev? That was uh, Born Slippy, I believe, that we got as the intro there. It was that a bit of Born Slippy. There was a bit of Born Slippy. I thought would bring us kind of up to date. Uh, <laughs> kind of up to date. I, I mean, think I, I know what you've done with it, but I, I, <laughs> very good. <laughs> if, anybody, if anybody else can get it, they can actually put it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad there's Born Slippy, mate. I get it. Um, uh, I'm good, though, mate. I'm good. It's Tuesday night. Scream Celica time, man. This is what it's all about, mate. It's a cult show now, man. I know, I know. I love it. I love it. That's a great cult show. I'm, I'm going to put this out there. If anybody wants to get their name round about us and, and give us a wee sponsor and that, just get in touch. And you, you can go out to quite a large audience on the State of Mind platform, eh? Now, Aye, definitely. We spoke about this top last week and there were some folk in the comments who didn't believe I'd be able to fit in my original top. <laughs> so this is the original top that I bought two days before the 1995 Scottish Cup final. 
So Brilliant. I can still fit into it. It must have absolutely drowned me when I actually bought it in 1995. But I just say as well, something in the comments says it must be like a cycling shirt. No, there's still room. There's still room, yeah. And you made them so baggy then, eh? Not I know, you I know. Away for your physique. <laughs> that, that was my first ever Celtic shirt as well. Uh, talk me through you. Talk me through your shirt. What's happening there? Just dressed down a wee bit the right, Kev. You know, just a wee normal paisley number the night, mate. Nothing too, nothing too flash. But I'm sticking with the sort of uh, outlines on my collar after mm-hmm. my uh, Fran Alonso jacket. So <laughs> I know. I thought you and Fran Alonso were going for the reboot of Miami Vice on. Uh, on a Sunday with those jackets, Crockett and Tubbs, <laughs> well, we bit of the Dukes of Hazard thrown in. <laughs> You're a bit Bo Duke. <laughs> was it Bo or was it Luke? Can't I remember what one was switching the Dukes of Hazard. As much uh, as I'm a fan, there is a wee bit, I don't know if folk will remember, like, in Friends, when they used to go, like, back in time, do you know what I mean? And they'd show, like, Ross and Chandler in, like, the 80s or whatever, like, right. or showing them, like, growing up. And it's like Ross and Chandler yeah. and White Blazers with his sleeves rolled up in the mat. He's got the pearl, man. Eh? <laughs> uh, well, the flock of seagulls. Mullet. Aye. The, the flock the, of that, seagulls. Aye. Mullet, aye. Uh, right, before we get gone, as usual, I'll ask you a question. And it's based on the song that uh, i done at the start there, eh? Sure. Russell, have you ever been mega, mega, mega going back to Romford? whatever that means whatever that means I don't know but I kind of want to now I I know it sounds quite good eh? so the DeLorean has went back to the 19th of February 2015 and me and you are in turnstiles that great establishment just on the on the outside of Celtic Park was it even called turnstiles then I don't actually know if it was called Turnstiles there. But anyway, we're waiting on the Inter Milan Ultras, the boys sands. That's what one thing I love about the Italian football culture is like their ultra groups, obviously, this season. They they were right at the heart of the ultra culture. But when you see ultra culture in this country, everybody tries to look the same. Like, they'll have to be dressed in a certain way. They'll have to have the gazelles, the, the sort of skinny jeans and all that. When you look at a curva in Italy, it's a, it's a mismatch of society. I yeah. you've got the I you've got the guys who have based themselves on like English, like British casual culture. But then mm-hmm. you've just also got the guys who are hippies, you've got guys who are punks, you've got guys who are like it, it, all styles are encompassed. And I sometimes think when you when you have a a, a British match going, um Crowd, why do we all try to look the same? There doesn't seem to be a big, massive difference in the like when you see the curvers in Italy. There's all different elements of society, whereas our football crowd, a lot of the people all try to look the same. Why do you think that is? It's a strange one, isn't it? I suppose it's a sign of we're all in this together. You know, don't want to. You know, I don't know. I I can't really relate to it. To be honest with you, Kev. <laughs> I, mean, I don't really. I, I can't say I've ever. I've ever looked to my mate and thought I will dress the same today. I don't think that's ever happened to me, mate. To be honest with you, um, I suppose it's a bit like wearing. It's like wearing the strip, isn't it? And it's like it's a sign of like unity. They're all together. They're all in it together, and they all want to look kind of like a 
like a, I don't know, like a unit. I know. Uh, it's got a sort of military vibe on it, but like when you look at the Italians, Italian, if you look at uh, like, I remember the Drugi, uh, the Juventus casuals, uh, casuals, the, the Juventus ultras coming to Celtic Park, mm-hmm. and they looked like a unit. They looked like a serious mob, but they were all dressed differently. Then I remember one time being at Old Trafford seeing the, the, the Man United men in black, and obviously they were all dressed in black. Eh? Somebody comes in there. Eh, where is it? Where's that comment? Daniel Mack comes in. The Green, the Green Brigade could be the Green Brigade could be doing with a few goffs. That would look good. Yeah. <laughs> that would look quite a, a couple of Robert Cure looking guys, and and then I'm just get man. enough and bouncing back and forward. I would love that. I would love that. Uh, that'd be brilliant. I, I guess just a, 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 I think it shows the mentality of certain sections of society. I mean, if you look at the, the boys' group at Celtic Park, eh, they, all, they all dress in black as well. If you ever see them walking towards you, I, I think it's an intimidation thing with them. They all, they all look the same. They've all got the same, like, North Face jackets on and all of that. Eh? And I'm going, why would you want to do that? You look more interesting than all looking different. You look I... more like... You, you look more inclusive, all, yeah. all looking different then. No, you can't, you can't get into your team unless you've got a pair of green and white gazelles and a bear coos jacket. If you can, <laughs> what I mean, eh? That's it. Uh, <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway, right. Back, back to that 19th of February 2015. Um, it's the last 32 in the, in the Europa League. And I had to go back and remember how we had managed to get to the last football two, last thirty two, because I was I was struggling to remember. But we right. were in a group. We were in a group with Red Bull Salzburg, eh, Dynamo Zagreb, and Astra from Romania, and we qualified with eight points. Um, so the eight points we had two wins, two draws, and two losses. The two wins were at home to um, Zagreb and Astra. And the two draws were against Astra away from home, and we got a credible draw with Red Bull Salzburg and, and Salzburg on the opening day, which was the day of the Scottish independence referendum. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was the night that that game was played, and Celtic wore their tartan kit that night. I don't know if that was any sort of... I'm hoping it was a sort of political statement. I knew, I know it probably wouldn't be, but in my mind, I want that to be a political statement that had the tartan, but... Like, do you think that? Aye, aye. Like, aye, so it crossed over your mind, there. That was quite smart, that. Was it the dark green? It was dark green. Dark green. And what's his name? Wakaso scored a, a peachy a goal that night, mm-hmm. but we'll get, we'll, we'll get onto that team later on. Now, this was the first time we had played Inter Milan from 1972 in the European Cup final in 1972 when we were beat on on penalties. Um, Obviously, Celtic done. Oh, producer Paul comes in and says, I got married that day again in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think he was talking about the day that we drew two each with Salzburg, not the night that we drew three each with Inter that we're talking about just now. Um, So, as usual, Celtic day the old trope to get the Lisbon Lions on the pitch before the game, and it's obviously they are going to get the the the, the Lions on the pitch because it's a selling point. Eh? We're playing Inter Milan again. Get the greatest get the greatest Celtic team in history 
yeah. back on the back on the pitch. But even then, sometimes you just go, "Aye, right, here they come again." But <laughs> but, but fair enough, fair enough. I'm not going to hang with that. Ronnie Dyler says about the uh, says about before this game when he was talking about the Lisbon Lions and Lisbon '67 and stuff like that. He says, "I have to make history, not watch it." Mm. That's, that's what he said. I thought it was a good quote that from Ronnie Dyla in fairness. It is, it is a very good quote. It is, it is a very good quote. Now, we're playing the manager of Inter at that time, and I, and I, for, I forgot about this, was uh, Roberto Mancini. Was the second spell at Inter. And they were sitting 10th in Sierra A. And it wasn't going too well for Roberto Mancini at that time, but they're still a big, massive name. Celtic v Inter Milan has got historical connotations in Europe, no matter how the teams are doing. It's yep. the names, it's the way of the heritage and the names, which makes it a star attraction in the last 32. I was having a look at that last 32 draw. We were the biggest game. We were the biggest tie. When you yeah. have a when you have a look at that, all UEFA were focused on Celtic Park that night because it was a meeting of two heavyweight European teams. Maybe our best days are buyers. Well, Inter Milan are going to win Serie A this season. You can maybe see what they're going to do in the next couple of years. But at that point, maybe our best days were buyers. We weren't in the elite anymore, but it was still a massive tie in Europe. Exactly. All, all the all the eyes of Europe were on us. Ronnie Dyler says before this game, I love this quote, I spoke about getting goosebumps before it. If I don't get them tonight, I may, well, I may as well quit football. You can just drop the mic, eh? That is, if you want somebody to set up a game, that's setting up a game. To say, I, I, I want you to, uh, this is going to be a spectacle. This is going to be a fantastic night for us. Were you at the game that night, Russell? I was there, I was working again, mate. I remember watching it from behind the bar at the pub. Um, sadly, as such as my life been, mate, um, I missed a lot. I missed a lot of the football, but I mean, no, I watched it from behind the pub. I always remember it crystal clearly. Um, one of those games that I think that before it there was a there was a not that same vibe that we had only maybe a few years before under Lennon when. I think if Inter were coming under that Lennon team then, we would have fancied our chances to, to get the result at home. And I remember that tie being with a wee bit of trepidation. It was exciting, yes, and I get what you're saying about the names and stuff. But, I mean, for me as a fan at the time, just going on about the actual team on the pitch, I was worried before that game, to be totally honest with you. I wasn't on a on a Ronnie Dyla bus, shall we say, or, or, or expecting it to be a big win. I, I, I felt I, I felt more trepidation ahead of that game than what I had only a couple of years before under Lenny. You know, as much as the result against Barcelona goes into total folklore, that aside, I remember like that team when Spartak Moscow come, we had to win to get through the Champions League group and knowing we would win. That was the <laughs> truth. I never felt that sort of, I know we got out the group and all that, but I think at the start of the season, obviously, there'd been issues getting in the Champions League because Dyle had failed in that, hadn't he? He'd failed to qualify for the Champions League. The season hadn't started, or the first half of the season, we should say, hadn't filled us with a crazy amount of confidence, I think it would be fair to say. Um, and then, uh, looking ahead to the game, it was very much one that I just thought, try and keep them at bay. Try not to concede an early goal. 
trying not to concede two early goals. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was. I, I thought if we'd kept it tight, it was the type of game that if we were going to win, it would be very much in the style that we did get a late goal. But it might have been, you know, if, if we wanted to win the game, that had to be a one 0 If we wanted to win the tie, sorry, because I feel that we had to not concede at home and like try and just with withstand the pressure. Um, try and grow into the game and then hopefully nick a late one like we've done so many times. But I'll be honest, you going into the game, I was not fully confident that night in the slightest. I, I was fully embracing it. I was there that night. I was fully embracing it. It was a big, big cup tie. And the way I look at it, if you're going to go out to Europe, let's go out to a big name. Let's go out and give them a batter in at Celtic Park and let's see, let's make them work for the result. That's all I look for at Europe. It doesn't matter what size a team comes to Celtic Park. If they're going, if they're going to get a result at Celtic Park, I want them to work for it. I want them to actually be, want them to be scared that what's actually happening round about them. And I think this happened in this game at a certain point. Uh, this, this is one of, this is one of the best nights at Celtic Park, I've ever heard European ties. And it's a tie that we didn't want. It's up there with, uh, what I would say, it shows you the different mentality of the Celtic fans that we rate this game. A free each draw, we think it's an absolutely fantastic game. And it's the same with the Partizan-Belgrade game. You, you talk to a generation behind me who were at the Partizan-Belgrade mm-hmm. game at Celtic Park and go, one of my greatest nights ever, I, but we went out, but who cares? It was fantastic. It was it was like, that's what makes Celtic so special. And I think this night summed it up. Uh, I mean, what I'm going to say, I think the, night, the noise this night was phenomenal. It was up there with the Seville nights. Uh, uh, like I remember the Boa Vista Liverpool the noise we made that th- this night was absolutely phenomenal and I'm, I'm going to chuck something out there I may as well get my daft like vibes out, out, the, out the window very far I believe Celtic Park's haunted right. I, believe, I believe Celtic Park's haunted with all the spirits of all the generations of fans that are in your soul so when you go to Celtic Park, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, anybody that took you to Celtic Park is there with you. And there's certain nights under the floodlights, they come out. And they you go into them. And you can go into that park and you know it's going to be special. You know it's going to be special. You know that there's more people, there's more than the 58,000 Celtic fans there. I think when folk... When folk talk about Celtic Celtic Park's special atmosphere, right? I think it's because the the place is no haunted. There's spirits in the place. That's what that's going to end up on Kerryfield, but I, I, I couldn't give a monkey's. That's, that's what I believe. I think I've been to too many magical nights at Celtic Park. Not to believe shit like that. Sorry, Paul. No, I love that. That, that, that's that's what I believe in. So I may as well get that out there right away. Aye, uh, definitely, definitely. So I was going to just touch on atmosphere and noise because I'm saying that I've got a mad a mad theory on this, right? As well. Well, not a mad theory. It's not. It's just an observation, right? Now, the first thing that struck me watching the game back, and I watched the extended highlights yesterday at Axon HQ, which was great. And um, basically, when I was watching that, like, I felt it was a lot noisier than a lot of recent European ties. Now, I've been trying to work out what could be the reason for it not being as G'd up as you rightly point out 
those Seville days, it was frightening on that run. Like, right, even as the players kicked off, I remember referees, like, delaying it for a minute, like, well, not a minute, but, like, 10 seconds to actually blow the whistle just to try and let it all calm down. What they've changed, right, is, so see if it's the Europa League or the Champions League, they play the music and the teams line up, right? They play Europa League music, uh, oh, 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 and then if the Champions League won, I'll go try and sing that, right? But So they stand and line up and do that, right? And now there must be a rule that you're not allowed to then play another tune over the PA. So have you ever noticed that after they line up, it's just the fans that need to come up with a song and start singing to get the place rocking. Whereas before, the Celtic song would start and it would just go it would go bonkers, man. Because uh-huh. you'll never walk on would be done before the anthem tune. And then they would do, they, then they would G that up and they'd play it right up until they were gonna uh, take uh, do the kickoff. As soon as the referee blows, it would stop. Whereas now there's that gap, and I do think that we lack at times in Europe quite that same fever pitch that we used to generate before. Somebody can maybe correct me here, but I think you're not allowed to play anything over the PA apart from the Euro- the, the the competition league tunes since seven forty one. Uh, there's, there's a cut off time I'm sure I'm sure um, I read that somewhere and I think uh, that's played a part I think that has played a part because that used to be something that you know everyone's screaming when it was, it's particularly when it was Champions League everyone's screaming like mad when that tune's playing and then it stopped and then the Celtics one would kick in over the PA and it just went nuts do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I think I think in that Inter Milan game though I've got to say the reason I'm talking about this is all because I thought Oof, that's one of the, that's one of the most rocking I can I, I can remember in the last sort of ten years. Well, what you've got to remember, Russell, is we played that group section game, group section with the top tier shot. There was nobody in the top, top tier in the, in the group group games, um, so there was only like twenty eight thousand at the group games. So this was built up as a big massive tie. I can't remember how much Celtic charged us for a ticket, but um, I, I don't think the overcharged us. Maybe they did. Or maybe I'm, I'm my memory's playing tricks on me. I'm going to go to a couple of comments. Uh, uh, Kevin Hampsey. <laughs> when I was when I, when I was talking about when I was talking about uh, spirits and ghosts of granddads and fathers and all that, he says, "Hope no, my granddad was a Rangers fan." Well, maybe maybe he's turned, maybe he's went to the good side now, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> he's when you when, when you're at Celtic Park. Um, Alan Robertson, what former Rangers player was playing centre half for partisan grade partisan Belgrade that night? I don't know that one off the top of my head, but I'll think about that. I will think about that one. Gordon Petrick. Gordon Petrick. Johnny Boy 77 asks, Kev, were you at the Cologne game? Two down for the first leg, we won three, nothing. That was some night. Johnny Boy 77, that was my first ever European game at Celtic Park. I was in the jungle that night. Absolutely brilliant. Um, So, going into this game, Dialogue, Ronnie Dialer had a dodgy start. There was no money folk, as you say, quite rightly says Russell, but was on the was on the dialer bus. There was no money as on the dialer bus at that time. But we seemed to have a run of form after a I think we went on a winter break to Gran Canaria, I think. We went to a winter break on Gran Canaria. And the team seemed to play better after the, the winter break, unlike Dubai this year, but we won the won the talk about Dubai. We'll <laughs> that enough. 
Uh, so <laughs> we're going, to, going into this game. Lustig's injured, Chris Commons is injured, and strangely enough, Anthony Stokes is missing for discipline reasons because he arrived back late for Dublin. So we had this conversation, didn't we, the other week? So <laughs> About Anthony Stokes. When I read that, I, I can't say I raised an eyebrow in the slightest, Kev. I just thought, do you know, I had no. actually forgotten about that one, to be fair. Um, but when you read it, you know, you just think, wow, there, there really was. There's been a lot of instances of, 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 of stories of that like with, with Stokes, which is a shame. Um, I did like the January window helped Tyler as well. Um, we brought in a couple of players for Dundee United. I'm sure you want to talk about Mm-hmm. I I brought in Gary Mackay, Stephen and Stuart Armstrong. Now, Inter Milan trained at Murray Park because Rangers had to offer them Murray Park just to be like, like have some relevance on a European night at that point because I think they were <laughs> I, I think they were probably playing Alawa or something like that that weekend or that that night. So to give some relevance, they had to actually. They have to offer Inter Milan the the finest facilities in Auchinhowe, the only facilities in Auchinhowe. But um, so the team that night, the team that night, Craig yep. Gordon in goals, Adam Matthews, Denaya, Virgil Van Dyke, Izagiri, Scott Brown, Near Beaton, Gary Mackay, Stephen, Stephen Johansson, Stuart Armstrong, and Lee Griffiths. What's your first uh, thought of that team? First thought is straight away the centre-half partnership that would be the Leon captain and very often the Liverpool captain, also Liverpool's best player right now. By a cut, well, in, you know, in that squad by a country mile at present. So I think mm. you'd be looking at that centre-back partnership right now. If paired together um, at any European team right now in 2021 would be regarded as a fearsome um, centre-back uh, pairing to have. Um, if I'm totally honest, I wasn't always sold in denial at times. I know everyone loved him. I don't know. I wasn't always sold on him. I've got to be honest. I don't know why. I know he's went on leaps and bounds and, you know, he's maybe at times never took it seriously. I don't know. I know he won a Player of the Year, a Young Player of the Year award. Um, but, I mean, what he's done at Leon since is, is incredible. But, I mean, you just look at those two names... And they do it, you know, you look where they are now, both of them. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. 
House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Leaders in, the, in, in big European clubs, you know, Leon's still a big European team that often compete in the Champions League in the top end of Ligue 1. Um, and then you look at Liverpool, obviously, recently, Premier League champions, European champions, all with Virgil at the back. So it's, that sticks out to me as being one heck of a centre-back parent I've had. I think it's one, it's one of the best centre-back pairings I've ever seen, watching Celtic. And for a odd year, I've been watching Celtic. Uh, they were a partnership, they were athletic, they were two modern-day centre-halves. And even though at this point both of them still had rusty edges, I would I would kill for a centre-half pairing like that just now. Oh, I, would, I, I would bite your right leg off. I get that. For, for a centre-half pairing like that just now. In the middle of the park, the two sitting midfielders are brown and beat on. If somebody would have asked me, did near beat on play that night, I would have went, nah, he didn't. No, he, he didn't play that night. But him and Brown were the two sitters in the middle of the park. Um, one again, who I really liked in that team. Mm-hmm. I, I liked Stefan Johansson. I did like Stefan Johansson. I know he was a bit of uh, marmite with some people, but I, I liked his energy. I liked his creativity. Uh, he was a wee bit inconsistent, but a lot, uh, that can be says a lot uh, about a lot of the players under... Uh, Ronnie Dyla's side. What did you think of Stefan Johansson? He's now playing for Queen's Park Rangers, so I found it. Is that where he is now? Is he left? Ah, home? Is he's, right? he's on loan from Fulham at Queen's Park Rangers underneath uh, the next England, underneath the next England manager, Mark Warburton. <laughs> I think um, with, with Johansson, he was a workhorse, wasn't he? He gave his all. He was always good for uh, sort of late runs into the box, chipping him with the odd goal. Uh, he was all action. I, I thought he was one of those players that, again, I don't know how long he was at Celtic for three years, maybe, but had maybe had more admirers in his first sort of 18 months to 24 months at Celtic. And in the end, I think he only left for Fulham for the same fee that we we paid for him, I think. That was uh, uh, and I think mm-hmm. if you look at his first 18 months at Celtic, um, and you think you would have had admirers then. You wonder what sort of money we potentially could have got and why was it he spawned did that and what happened there, you know? But fair play to him. Um, he was always something that I felt gave his all. Um, I like that. And I think he was a talented footballer, don't get me wrong. He don't play week in, week out for Fulham in the, at the top end of the championship, you know, uh, week in, week out if you're a mug. It's as simple as that. And uh, no, I'm, I'm happy that he's had a decent career. Uh, yes, he's went to Fulham and he's done really well with Fulham and he's still playing at a decent... He's retired for international football now. So right. he, he must be in his air, he must be in his 30s now. So 30, 31? He, he must be around about that. I think he left. And I, this is only... I'm going to deal with rumours here. There was a clique yes. in that... There was a clique in that dressing room at that time. Ronnie Dyler felt it as well when he tried to bring in uh, players of... When players try to, when Ronnie Dyla tried to bring in the, the diet, change a coach and yep. stuff like that, there were certain players bought into it and certain players didn't. And what the rumour was, what actually happened was 
denier Virgil van Dijk beat on and Johansson were a clique. They were they were they were a tight group. They they were the alpha males in that dressing room. Denier uh, Van Dijk beat on Johansson. Beat on beat on yes. Beat on Stefan Johansson's best best pal. And they were alpha males. Uh, yes, they, they they were a dominant group in that dressing room. They were a dominant group in that dressing room. And once Van Dyke went, it collapsed. And that's how a lot of those players left after it. After right. Van Dyke after Van Dyke left, the old school players, your Browns, your Griffiths, Commons, and and players like that, who all were chased by Brendan Rogers quite quickly, apart from Scott Brown, became the became the Dominant force in that dressing room, and Ronnie Dial was on a hiding enough. Was on a was on a hiding enough, and when basically that happened, when basically that happened, I went. I went to a Celtic Supporters Association rally at Celtic Park, and the team were basically split into two, and those players that were mentioned were sitting at a separate table from the rest of the squad. That's that not is, good, isn't it? That is not good, no. And so. What do you think? What do you, what do you think about that diet stuff, right? Because let me be honest here. I think Brendan Rodgers was letting them do their old school, as you want to call it, diet. No. So why would they? Why they listen to him, and why would they not listen to Ronnie Dyla? Is it all about you know your reputation, your aura, or is it about how they were telling them to do it, the manner of? I mean, is it that petty these days? I don't know. I'm playing like I'm not saying either is right or wrong or whatever, but quite obviously. Whatever diet Ronnie Dyla and his team wanted the players on, I would guess, would be a forward-thinking, modern club sort of way that would be very much up the same street as Brendan Rodgers. That would be my, without any basing on any knowledge, but that from a perspective, a perception point of view, I would have thought those two uh, managers were cut for the same cloth in terms of diet and all that. They were cut from the same cloth, uh, as in they were development managers, but what I would say, a lot of the players didn't buy into Ronnie Dyla's diet. Dyla's diet was basically very, for the want of a better word, caveman-like, yet raw meat. Yeah, like, and a lot of the players didn't rating. Like, it was all chatting, plain chatting rice. It was very, very plain. Whereas... I, I'm not a nutritionist, so I didn't again. Obviously, I'm not a nutritionist. I eat kebabs and hoagies and stuff like that. I'm not a nutritionist. <laughs> um, but a lot of the players didn't buy into the, the, the diet. But I just reckon it was down to, as, as the dude of vibes come in and says, Brendan Rodgers commanded respect when he came in because the fact that he had been the manager of Liverpool. But is that good enough that we've got players that just take that as the, oh, well, he's been at Liverpool, so listen to him tell us one thing. That guy who's not been at Liverpool, we won't listen to that. That to me is shocking. Because at the end of the day, they get paid the exact same each week. It's 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 life. I think it's life in football. If if a manager loses a dressing room and a different voice comes in and tells you things in a completely different way, then you maybe buy into it. But some another guy could come in and tell you to do the exact same thing in a different way. Maybe not as clear, maybe not as precise, maybe doesn't make you feel like on maybe doesn't make you feel like you're on top of the world. Then you wouldn't be there. Was Ronnie given a fair crack of the whip by the players? Not anyone no. else, just the players. No. no. Not at all. Yeah, uh, I don't, I, 
I don't think so. I don't think Ronnie no, was given a fair crack of the whip with the players. But he done the right thing and left when he knew it wasn't working for him. And some uh, Brown Warrior comes in with a great point. Rogers walked into a system already in place for two years, hence why he never changed it. I think the culture of change started under Ronnie Dyler yeah. and Brendan Rogers and Chris Davis. Because Chris, da- Chris Davis is a major, major part of Brendan Rogers' success. Supercharged it, took it to a different, different level. But there was a lot of players there who had already seen the benefits of what Ronnie Dyler was trying to implement. Players that benefited like your Stuart Armstrongs. When you look at the Invincible team, the majority of them were signed by Ronnie Dyler. Yeah, totally. Which totally. is which I think is testament to Dyler's legacy at Celtic. And it was interesting that the uh, that the MLS started this weekend and his New York City team. Because you've got to remember Ronnie Dyler Five one. You've got to remember, Ronnie Dyler came recommended to us by the Man City group. Yep. Here we're going going back to the Man City connection, and the Man City group have appointed him to be New York's manager. Well, exactly, coach. So he obviously is highly rated with with some of the elite football decision makers in the world. And uh, but the Scottish press call him a failure for winning three trophies in two seasons. Some managers would kill to win three trophies in two seasons. Well exactly. I think that's a brilliant point, Kevin. You know, the, you know, you look at you look at what he actually did, the the the, the stones that he was the, what would you call it? The stepping stones he put in place mm-hmm. for Rogers. Now don't get me wrong, as much as it's testament to dialogue, Brendan Rogers deserves a lot of credit for the, the improvement that he overseen in players and the overhaul we expected to happen when Rodgers took over, didn't he? Now, I expected mm-hmm. it to be a lot more signings made in that summer, a lot bigger wholesale changes to the squad. We bit not too dissimilar to, to this just now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the difference being, I think we probably didn't appreciate how far along the line Callum McGregor's Kieran Tierney's had came under Ronnie Dyler. Whereas it seems to me, and I don't want it to sound too negative, but in the current team, it seems quite starkly obvious that a lot of those players haven't have in fact regressed in the past eighteen months, as opposed to be progressing nicely. Um, it'll be interesting to see though if the likes of Stephen Welsh become legacies in Neil Lennon's second tenure. You know, and you can only hope that. That is the case, and there is a positive spin you can, you know, you can put on. You look back at the trophies you won. You can look at someone like Stephen Welsh and go, Do you know what? That was good that you got him in the team, mate. And okay, we criticise not playing him enough, but maybe you got the balance just right then. He was coming along nicely. You never know. Reflections always a completely different thing when you look back on stuff. And I think with Ronnie Tyler, I think I'm guilty of revisionism. I think a lot of people are guilty on revisionism, and I definitely look now at Ronnie Tyler's time probably in a far nicer light than what I was perhaps feeling towards end it. We do, and we've got Ronnie Dyla to thank for Kieran Tierney as exactly. well. He gave Kieran Tierney his debut after Izzy got injured, and Izzy got injured, suffered, suffered a loss of form, but people in the Celtic Academy will tell you this, at 16, Kieran Tierney was nearly let go. Yeah. And it was, it was Ronnie Dyla that says no. It was Ronnie Dyla that put him training with the first team. So uh, he elevated him. He didn't, he, elevated the he didn't play for the reserves or something, Kev. Is that not right? That's right. 
He skipped it or something like he skipped that. It, yeah. And that's all, that's, that's, all down, that's all down to Ronnie Dyler. Uh, yep. So I want the new man, whoever it is, to come in. And you know me, I want youth. I want, I want to be play. I want nights like this that we're going to discuss. And right, a lot of folk are going to say Ronnie Dyer revisionism. revisionism. Aye, but the narrative's been written. It's in the past. We can now make respected, no, no respected. More like, informed. Uh, more informed judgments. Yeah. about what actually happened during that time and also as well that. he would have won a treble if a linesman and a referee would have saw somebody saw an Inverness Cali player punching a ball off the line this week on the marketers report Patrizio Spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on building trust Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Totally true, mate. He he, would have won a treble, so it's... Let's not. Aye, the football was brutal towards the end. It was. It wasn't so good in his first six months. Six months either, eh? But he gave us a night like this, and for that, I'll I'll be forever thankful. It'll just be the same. I'm ever thankful for Bill Lennon giving us that night in Rome and beating Lazio at, at, at Celtic Park as well. You can be totally. thankful. You can be thankful for a manager giving you that night while understanding they had some failings. Yeah. The two, the two things are mutually ex- exclusive. They're mutually exclusive, but at the time, at the moment, you've kind of got to be in one camp because you're trying to force change probably at the time. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's absolutely acceptable. And what you're saying is when you look back on it, to be looked with a far more balanced uh, judgment because you're not trying to get your point across that a change has to be made. But it's not in the here and now either where negative results are occurring and they're putting you in a negative frame of mind about certain aspects. You're looking at it with a complete fresh set of eyes when you um, when you go definitely. down rabbit holes, Kev. You know? As you say as you say, you've got to be on one side of the wall or the other. That's why I wear baggy trousers because I like sitting on the wall. I like sitting <laughs> right in the middle of the wall until the narrative is written. And that's what that's what it says in the comments on Monday. I says, well we were talking about the game at the weekend because the narrative of this season is now written. Rangers have won the league. There's going to be St. Johnson have won the League Cup and there's going to be one of St. Johnson, St. Murn, Aber- uh, Dundee United or Hibs are going to win the Scottish Cup. So, yep. we can, so we can now look back and go, by the way, see that quadruple treble? That was fucking magic, by the way. Because <laughs> because this season, because it's been written, because it's been crystallised, we can now go, because it's hard to do a treble. It's hard to win a double. We've done yep. four in a row. So that's the reason that we can have a look at this season now and uh, since it's crystallised. Let's get, let's get to this game. This game's absolutely brilliant. The noise at the start of this game's frightening. The noise and, and uh, the, the noise and the atmosphere is absolutely fantastic. But as you say, 25 minutes ago, since we first started discussing this game, 25 minutes ago, man, Three minutes in, we go a golden. <laughs> three, three minutes in, we get the our, our helium balloons burst by a big pin by Shakiri. Now, again, I wouldn't have believed Shakiri played for Inter Milan that night. Would you not? No, yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. 
that Shakiri played because he was one of the big names at the time that was there. Um, I think he had been at Bayern Munich before that. I think yes, he had. Was. And uh, he was quality there as well, but he just couldn't get a regular game. <laughs> kind of common theme throughout his career. Um, but that goal, Craig Gordon saves a shot that's I don't even think it's hitting the side net and it's going that far wide. No, it's gone wide. It's gone wide. <laughs> it's complete. For me, it's for me, it's complete pa- pa- panic with Craig Gordon. You're, talk- right. you're talking You're talking. about an atmosphere inspiring people. I think Craig Gordon, Gordon actually went into his shell and panicked to be trying to palm that ball. And where's he trying to panic, Kev? Well, Straight back there. You're like, if you're going to save it at your near post at that, you push it out for the corner. Sure, not that I'm a goalkeeper, right? But surely, and I think you're right. I think it's a save without thinking. He's made a save completely, just impulsively. He's not taking it. He's positioning it in consideration. He's not thinking about what he's actually doing with his hands and where he's going to put the ball if he does save it, which they work on all the time. You know, pushing mm-hmm. it around the post or getting good distance on it to, if it's going to go out the box, punching it if necessary. He's he's dived down to a shot that he should know is going wide, and then not only that, rebounds it straight to the straight back to the the, the forward Shakiri again. It's it, it's a baffling bit of goalkeeping that, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it is someone who's who has been swallowed up by the atmosphere. Which, in fairness to Craig Gordon, by the way, he 100 percent grew into any Celtic career massively, and I've got. You know, I'm not. I'm not questioning these. Uh, and I know he played big games before then with Scotland and probably a few down at Sunderland if he was lucky. But I mean, I think when it comes to um, that night, I think that was because as well, like you say, top tier shot for that long. Suddenly they walk into this and they're going, "What?" That's maybe some of them. You know, their first time. Do you know what I mean? Like seeing this in a long time. Anyway, for a, for a lot of the players. I mean, it's been caught him unawares, definitely. There's the old cliche that the keeper likes to have a touch of the ball. Like, get the goalkeeper mm-hmm. gets a touch to get a feel of the ball. And that save kind of sums it up for me. It's almost as if it was going through his head. I need to make that save. I need to, I need to get myself into this game to get myself into the flow and the rhythm of the game. And he didn't need to do it. I mean, it's a long ball and Shakiri's played on side by Izaguirre. And... It's, it's been says in the comments, even though we've got Denier and Van Dyke, we had a horrible set first half. I mean, you lose three goals in the first half. The defence has not had a good game. No. Uh, Van Dyke slow to react. Uh, as you say, Gordon saves it, rebounds back, and it's a decent, it's a decent finish. Be, be like with Shakiri, but like what I liked about it is Gordon boots the ball away. Like, like a teenager trying to boot a dog. He just pumps the ball and he's... That's one thing about Craig Gordon. Craig Gordon never seemed to age. When you look at him now, he still looks like the 19-year-old Craig Gordon. Mad. It's complete madness. I think he's been in one of the chambers that keeps you young. I don't think he's had any hoagies or kebabs anyway. No, no. Doesn't look like that anyway. Mad. But I think you're right. It's so funny you brought that up because I was looking at his appearance in it and going... What's the script with him? All he's done is had a beard recently. I mean, he still looks the exact same. Man. I know, I know. Uh, so, 12 minutes. As soon as they score, the Celtic fans start singing again. You can hear it in the highlights again. The Celtic fans, you hear the drums gone for the Green Brigade and the Celtic fans are back into it. Eh? Um, 
12 minutes, we lose another horror goal for a set play. <laughs> it's a, so Inter play the set play in the edge of the box. A guy sort of scuffs it in. As Aguirre goes to clear the ball, it hits Van Dyke in the face and falls to Palacios, who nutmegs, right. who nutmegs Craig Gordon with us. And, and you go... Twelve minutes in, we're two nothing down, and you can and you can hear the silence as soon as he scores that, and and the highlights, and you, and you can hear that. I mean, what a horrible goal to lose! They're the only goals I ever seen to see Celtic losing in Europe. I never see any other clubs losing <laughs> a goal where, where the fullback batters it into the centre half's face and it drops the so drops to the centre forward. I, I think at that point, you see when you watch it back, it's like. The defence at that point was like a backline of Craig Gordon's in the third minute. And there's Aye. just a wee moment. Uh, it just looks a wee bit like we were just un- we were just rattled, eh? Just flapping. Mm. The communication obviously was not there. Do you know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, it's hard to hear yourself. I get that. But I would guess that that's not how they worked on defending that set play. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's like they've lost their wits about them. Do you know what I mean? A wee bit. And that's, they've got to take that as a unit at the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've got to I mean. I mean, as a Gary just tries to put his laces through the ball, a Sunday league clearance, and he and he fires it straight into Van Dyke's cut. I mean, I mean, it's just one of those things that you can't can stop. But it's a panic moment as well. I still think that it does sum up what you said about the atmosphere and and, and Gordon. I think that that is a Gary encapsulates that a, a lot of them must have been because it had been so long. Anyway, I'm no, no, right, here's a question for you. The Seville team, the Martin O'Neill team, thrived in that atmosphere. Do you think this team crumbled in the atmosphere in that first 12 minutes? I think there's a big difference between the fact that Martin O'Neill's team is used to it. Martin O'Neill's right. team... Right, good point, good point. Martin O'Neill's first team, first season there, was not all about based on Europe, but was getting a lot of atmospheres like that because we were on the cusp of, you know, this unbelievable points turned around in the league this first title in three, four years, whatever it was, and just watching a team that everyone loved on the pitch. And I think they were, as much as they didn't do well in Europe that first season, I think they'd had loads of packed houses, even for every home league game, and they were used to the heat. Whereas I think that team, where you're talking about the top tier not being open, to then walk into what you're then describing as up there, one of the best European atmospheres up there with Seville, chalk and cheese mate like that is a huge no. jump as opposed to going aye there was 60,000 at the Aberdeen game but it wasn't as rocking as say Valencia no. but you're, they're closer together if you know what I mean whereas this is one extreme to the other and I think it has caught them unawares obviously you've got to say that but then we've got to give the team credit because they, they, they get to they get a deep breath and get themselves back into the game. 23 minutes, Adam Matthews on the right-hand side plays a 1-2 with Stefan Johansson. Uh, Matthews then bursts into the box and he, and, he, and he plays it to the back post where Stuart Armstrong's bursted in to stroke the ball, and stroke the ball into the back of the net. What I love about this goal is, well, the place goes mental, but Lee Griffiths runs and grabs the ball and runs right back to the halfway line where there's no celebrating with Lee Griffiths. He's gone, this is game on. Let's well, let's move. Stuart Armstrong's first start for Celtic at Celtic Park? Would it first, I think first, it was. First goal. First goal. First Aye. goal maybe at Celtic Park. One of the two. But it's funny because the goal that he scores... Is so Stuart Armstrong. It became so Stuart Armstrong. It's unreal. 
really tidy one uh, one time finish as well, which I love. Um, but I uh, Griffith, you know, well Armstrong's running away. But I think I think Armstrong's just feeding off the fans' energy at that point, and it's sort of then you're mirroring it, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? And you're feeling their vibe, and you're giving that vibe back. And uh, but Griffith's just got his seed in the game, which I, I love that attitude as well. Uh, I'll, I'll Griffith's love, I'll... a young man then, twenty five. Well, he didn't have his he didn't have his hair transplant anyway. That's very noticeable in the anyway. I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't talk about hair transplants, man. But there we go. There we go. I've embraced mine, or maybe I just can't afford a hair transplant. I don't. I don't know well <laughs> what it is. I'm, I'm going to say I've embraced it. Um, it shows you. Griffiths, taking that ball back to the half line, we interview 90, 95, 90 seconds later. The place is still gone mental. We get a throw in 25 yards for the Inter Milan goal. It's Matthews to Johansson. Johansson plays a first ball cross into the box. Lee Griffiths jumps. As it drops, Stuart Armstrong's burst in again at the near post, tries to get a flick on it, it misses it. And it comes off, what was the defender's name again? Uh, Campanaro. Campiaro uh, hits his knee and goes into the, into the net. Stuart Armstrong, like any good player, claims it. Quite right. <laughs> Quite right. I would claim it as well. You've got to claim it. Eh? But I reckon the crowd made a massive part in that, that goal because that is an error. If you have a look at the way Inter Milan were set up, they didn't set up well for that throne. And we've rattled them. The noise of the crowd's rattled them at that point. The fact that we've got back into it and gone to each that quick. I think I think we made a massive, massive part in that goal. That's a brilliant point. I think you're absolutely right. And folk, I mean, you watch games of football. I always say the sign that's invisible with football that's so important. It's called momentum, and it can chop and change. And it happens. I watch a lot of snooker too. And for whatever reason, sometimes you just see the momentum swing, and you go, "How did that even happen?" Do you know what I mean? But suddenly. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All the breaks in the ball that you need to get. You want to win the throw and you win a throw and up there 90 seconds later. You're scoring from it. And I think Johansson deserves a lot of credit. Just a wee bit of inventory sort of... Oh, you know, it's kind of over his head. He's volleyed that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, was, kind uh, of not looking, not looking as well, but just put it in the mixer. And I think at that point, when you've got the momentum going that way, sometimes just getting it in the mixer, no matter how you do it, is enough to cause a wee bit of panic in their defence, which you certainly seen with Campanaro slotting at home with a plum. <laughs> it's, it, it's like quickness. It's like I'm getting this ball into the box to cause havoc. It's it's not taking the it's not taking the touch to have a look. It, it was how Ronnie Dyler wanted to play football was to cause chaos in the last third, and that mm-hmm. ball caused chaos. Lee, Lee Griffiths jumping, knowing he had no chance of getting the ball, caused chaos. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Stuart Armstrong reading where that ball was going. It was a good goal. Even the first goal was a great goal as well. And the place was absolutely bonkers when we equalised then. And then, between then and half time, the game seems to take a breath. <laughs> Both teams seem to settle down and go, right, we're level pegging now. Enter the line goal. Well, we've, 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 got, we've got like two away goals and Celtic are gone. We've, we've used a lot of energy to get ourselves back into this game. Let's take a wee deep breath and like try and get control of it. And that's what a you call agreement. Uh, there's a mutual <laughs> agreement. And, and, and you see it in games all the time. If there's a bit of like to and fro, and then sometimes both teams take a wee step back and go, well, we're going to have to have, have a think about this, what we do next. And it's, I think it's very modern in the modern game that you see teams having that little bit braver go, right, where do we go next? Because it gets all very, very tactical. And nothing much happened between like the 24th minute and the 44th minute when there's a long ball and Palacio burst through. I must admit, he does look on offside to me. He, even even when I was watching it on the highlights tonight, and even when I was at the stadium, I'm going, he's offside. And he still, and he still looks offside. Uh, Adam Matthews tracking him, but he stops because Craig, it's Craig Gordon's ball. Gordon's off his line. Gordon's read it re- really, really well. But for some reason, Gordon seems to misjudge it. He overstretches himself drops the ball, he half drops it, half palms it. And Palacio, who's carried on running, I mean, you can actually see the way Palacio runs. He's gave up, he's gone, that's the keeper's ball, but I'm just running anyway to try and put a bit of pressure on him so he can't get, so get up and, and bowl it mm-hmm. out quick. And they misjudges that he overstretches and Palacio uh, like, st- sticks it in. And you're gone. We've got ourselves back into this game, and now we're one minute away from half time, and our goalkeeper's made another howler. Well, I think from that one, I think firstly the point you've raised with it comes to Matthews and Placio is the difference. One of them's gambled, one of them's not. Um, I think, I think the other one is that we need to be honest. Um, it's a Craig Gordon. It's a wicked skid off the off the ground. So he has, yes, he's misjudged it hundred percent, but it does seem to kick. Do you know what I mean? When it bounces, it does seem to kick. But then it's about his decision making again. Why are you trying when the ball's now behind you to actually hold it? That's where I think you would just got to kind of just got to swipe it with your hands, push it out for a shy, because the ball's the ball's flying across the ground. It's just proved it off that bounce. If he gets a strong enough hand, even if he's put it out for a corner. I might look a bit daft, but trying to hold it when the ball's now actually skidded, if you watch it, he's chasing it almost, and he, mm-hmm. that is not a moment to try and hold it. Just punch it in front of you. If that means it goes out for a corner, or at best, maybe a shy right up, you know, right up in our, our territory, so be it. But trying to hold it at that point, once he'd already realised the ball was like a bar of soap, was silly. That was silly really, because really bad. it was. I forgive him for the bounce misjudgment, though, Kev. I think that does kick. It's absolutely chucking it down. And I remember at the time thinking, and it came to, it came to again last night when I was watching the highlights again, I was going, that ball it's was... It's quiet, it. Kev. Oh, is that better? We bit. Unless it's just mine. Nah, I've, I've, I've not changed. I'll move the microphone close to me. 
Um, I've just knocked my microphone over. Um, <laughs> I love this show. Oh, this is the really, best fun ever. It's chaotic genius. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, for those that were out there, it's like the Mark and Lard of, uh, <laughs> of it's a state of mind. What I would say when I was watching it again last night, I thought the ball was skidding out. I thought Gordon could have left it and I was going to skid out the park. That's fair, but I think because he's not expecting that bounce, he's already committed to go to get it. And then, yeah, I suppose, as I say, the ball was behind him. So, yeah, you're right, he could have. But once you've already kind of made a motion to get the ball, he can't resist, but he's going to make one of these fake saves again. (laughs) But it's... the, the bounce is wicked the bounce is wicked it's cruel on him I think the bounce but why he's trying to hold that you know once he's dived on it I would just to me I just be, I know it's going to look ridiculous but I'll just palm it out for a, go- a corner or a, or a goal kick but again you're looking at milliseconds uh, judgement you've got to make but he does look a bit a bit dafty I think he panics again I think like the first goal he panics Um I think like the first goal he panics again and it's as I say I watched it again last night and I think the ball was going to spin out the park now we're getting at half time I'm alright Russell you're looking a bit I don't know if it's my phone or the, the microphone I can barely hear you but I don't know it's my, it must be at my end mate right the, the folk are coming in the comments saying the audio is fine eh so uh, it must be my phone pal right no problem so the second half and We've, we've, we've gave Craig Corden a bit of, like, like not abuse, but we're saying he's been at fault for the two goals, Aye. which is true. But he makes a couple of saves in the second half to keep us in the game. And nothing really happens in the in, in the game in the second half. The, the, the complete chaos of the first half disappears and it becomes, we're huffing and puffing trying to get, trying to get the third goal. So on the 75th minute, Ronnie Dyla makes two substitutions. It's a double sub. He takes off Stuart Armstrong and brings on Liam Henderson. And he takes off Griffiths and brings on John Gadetti. Both have a massive role to play in, in the equalising goal. So on the 92nd minute, Gadetti turns with Fred the ball 20, 22 years out. And he, he, he knocks the ball to Gary Mackay Stephen. Gary Mackay Stephen makes an absolute mess of it. The inter man, the inter player, I think it's I think it's Vidal actually, gets a toe in and he knocks it he knocks it to Liam Henderson. Liam Henderson plays a clip ball back to Gadetti. Now, this is very similar to the Stefan Johansson one. There's not there's there's no thinking about it as going, I'm putting this in an area. Yes. It's one of as one of these balls, if Nakamura had played it, we would have called it genius. But yeah. the fact is <laughs> but, but the fact is it's a it's a wee guy for West Lovian. It's played the ball. It's no it's no it's no ranked it's no ranked as a as a as a genius ball. So he plays it back into the ball into the box. Gadetti has carried on his run. So Gadetti then brings it, chests it, and we and we spoke about and we spoke about uh, Peter Grant having the perfect body shape last week for a ball through to George Cadet. When Gadetti vo- volleys this ball with his left foot, he has a perfect body shape. It's cause he's 
He's got a perfect elevation when he fires this ball into the top corner. And again, Celtic Park goes absolutely mental, absolutely berserk. That was John Cadetti's first goal in 11 games for us. Yeah. It was a, a really spectacular finish, in fairness. And what I like about Cadetti is he's involved from the beginning. He does a nice wee bit of skill as well before his pass, um, which was really nice. Then he's continued his run into the box. But, you know, the thing is with Cadetti, he backs himself in. One of those folk that he's a confident... It was at times perhaps a wee bit irritating, but he is a, he is a confident uh, sort of player who has utter belief in what he's going to do. And when he brings the ball down, it's actually quite an awkward angle, uh, height, I think, when he, when he takes the ball. Like, see, when he, actually, when he strikes the ball, it's, it's quite high. And to keep it down enough for it to go under the crossbar, albeit hit the roof of the net, was really good takers. And uh, again, you've got to take into context we've spoken about this before timing uh, environment match situation importance all of those factors when you blend all that in with then that technique you go that's pretty special to be doing that you know what I mean although I did read on the Celtic wiki kudos um, that Stuart Armstrong's first goal was actually voted into the top 10 of the competition that season it was, yes, it was number eight in the, in the UEFA Europa League competition that season. I think it was because it was a team goal. It was a very, very good team goal. Uh, but for me, Gadetti's goal was individual brilliance and something that we never saw enough from John, John Gadetti uh, in his time with Celtic. He made a great start in that. But uh, Ewan Boy Martin comes in, Gadetti's worst goal celebrations ever. Uh, he, he jumped the advertising board and went like that. Eh? He was, I don't know what he was, what, what he was doing there. Eh? Free I don't H. know. I, mean, I, don't know. Got, I don't know he, what that was all about. But he is one of those players that I think if he'd not, I like the fact he had a lot of self-belief, but I definitely think he thought he was too good for Celtic. And I think that came back and... I think that came back and bottom. I think that Because I think if he'd kept the confidence but appreciated Celtic for what they were, that could have been a match made in heaven, I think. Definitely, definitely. So, after the game, Gidetti, I mean, what you've got to remember, this is a 90-second minute and he's got the the balls to absolutely volley this ball into the back of the net. He has has the composure to do that in the 92nd minute. That's a sign of a player. Gadetti, after the game, says, the myths I've heard about Celtic Park on a European night are true. You can't. It's a good one, that. That's a great great statement. And Ronnie Dyla, again, for me, this is one of Ronnie Dyla's greatest... The way he built up this game and after this game, what he actually says, when you stand behind your team when it's 2-0 down, it means so much to us. And that is what this club is about, the supporters. Ronnie, Manny, Ronnie, man, that is... I want to get a big, yeah, a big Ronnie Roar. I love the Ronnie Ah, Roar as well. I love the Ronnie Roar as well. Um, What a night, obviously, became what happened in the second leg, but that's one of my best ever European nights at Celtic Park. That's up there, even though we didn't get the result. That's still a game I fondly, fondly remember. A classic, mate. An absolute classic. 
You talk about Gadetti being arrogant. If I was to ask you on the 94th minute when we're leaving Celtic Park that night, who was going to have the better career, John Gadetti or Stuart Armstrong, what would you say? John Gadetti. John Gadetti, I would have said, um, despite his barren run, I felt it had star quality about him. Um, and I remember he did a spell at Feyenoord, I think, where he'd scored something when he was about 18. He'd got 21 and 21, something like that. Um, in the Eredivisie, and I just thought, you know, bring him over to Scotland. Maybe it's, maybe he's had a barren spell. Maybe the team's not been performing that well, though. But if we've got someone who can score that sort of goal return there, I think he could go on and replicate that for us. And he was at the right age. He was affordable. And I, I was expecting him to be someone we had for three or four years up front. When we signed him, I was buzzing him. I, I, I was total buzzing because I'd known about him. I'd remembered when he'd done that record in Holland. It was on Sky Sports at the time or something like that anyway. They were speaking about it. I thought, I wonder if we could get him one day because it was only a loan deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was buzzing when we got him and I did think he would go into bigger and better things but I think it was Celta Vigo he went to wasn't it? It was Celta Vigo he went to what you've got to remember about Gudetti when we're talking about his attitude was that he was signed at 16 by Sven Goran Eriksson for Man City and, yep. he, and he had a host of clubs in Europe chasing after him he had a few loan spells as the one you mentioned in Feyenoord he went back into the Man City team but then he was injured quite a lot and yes. it was basically coming to Celtic was his last chance at a big club because of his injuries uh, at, at Man City. He got off to a great start. He was brilliant the first couple of games for us. And what you've got to remember is that was his first appearance in the Europa League because he wasn't allowed to play in the group stages. He was cup-tied for the group stages or there'd be no sign-up in time, time. So that was his first appearance in the Europa League for Celtic that season. That was his first wow. appearance in Europe. Eh? So after he started Celtic, right, um, we wanted to sign him and we offered him a contract because what you've got to remember, Russell, was he was out of contract that summer. He was a free transfer. Right. He, 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 was, he was a Bosman. And you're talking about he had 15 goals and 11 assists. So Celtic started offering him a contract and it seemed to tail off. I mean, he actually says in an interview, he actually he actually says in an interview with Celtic that, Cel- that he owed Celtic nothing when Celtic offered him a contract. He then had the, the end of the League Cup final where he took the huff when James Forrest took a penalty kick and he wanted the penalty kick. <laughs> What you've got to have a look at, he made a great start for Celtic. He made a fantastic start for Celtic, but he only scored four goals in the last 24 games of his Celtic career. Like, he left Celtic when he was 23 and he joined Celta Vigo when he was 23. And what he says when he left Celtic, and this maybe proves his attitude, was, I went to Celtic and smashed it in the first half of the season. Celtic's a massive club but I like big games I don't like with respect Ross County away I love, I love, for, I love for we did the impossible he also actually speaks about that uh, when Celtic won the league that season he says none of the players got drunk and it was boring so wow. that, that, that's what he actually says but I must admit I like that attitude I did the impossible but I do like that I do like a player who wants to do things like that but I think he 
he was he thought he was better with Celtic. So he went to Celta Vigo after that, as you rightly say. Do you ken where he is now? Is it Alaves? He's at Deportivo Alaves. And last year he was on loan to Hanover 96 in the Bundesliga 2. They sent him on loan to a Bundesliga 2 team. At the time, transfermarket.com says he was worth... When he left, when he left Man City for Celta Vigo, he was worth eight million. Transfer Market now saying he's twenty nine year old and he's worth one one million pound, and he's only played ninety six minutes of football this season. He's never started a game for Alaves, and he's made seven appearances from the bench. That's sad, eh? That's sad. I mean, he's at the peak of his powers now. I just think that he, you know he could have done a lot more with it with his career. I appreciate that he was injury ravaged when he was younger, and that would have hampered the the opportunity at City. And I do get that side of it, but I certainly think that he could have done better than that. Can you hear me all right? By the way, sorry, I'm, I, I'm joining the old headphones club, man. I I can hear you. You're fine. I can Sound hear you. A couple of folk have said I'm a bit blurry. It looks all right here, and there's nothing I can do for coming out and coming back in. But as long yeah, as, no, all, as, as, as long as audio's fine, then hopefully you're still getting the same enjoyment of the night. Of, oh, it's an I improvement, thought... Kev. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You were going to say that. I set, I set you up for that. I set you up you like did, Adam. Ma- like Adam Matthews setting up uh, Stuart Armstrong. <laughs> You can probably say the only two trophies Gadetti won has won so far in his football career have been with Celtic. That's only two club mm-hmm. trophies that he's won so far. But he's had a number one sing- single in Sweden. He has not. Yes. He a has co- not. He has. A band called Bad Bad Poken. Uh, uh, I'm no Swedish, so I probably says that <laughs> completely wrong. Had a number one signal. Uh, had a number one single in June 2015 with a song called Johnny G, the Gadetti song. It is typical Eurovision rubbish. If anybody, it's on YouTube. If anybody wants to go and check it out on YouTube, it's absolute pants. And it starts off with the female vocalist saying, "I want you so badly, Johnny G." So wow, Johnny prob- G, Johnny G. That's probably the highlight of his career. It probably just ruined that goal a bit for me, to be honest with you. Knowing that, then he then he listened to the song. Then he listened to the song. I it, don't it's think like I a, could. It, it's like a failed entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. How far into it did you get? A minute and a half. A minute, that's not bad. That's fair. Uh, that I is. Got- I got a minute and a half into it. No, that's fair to us, Kev. You, you, that is, I would say that's giving it a bit of effort, to be honest hey, that, with you. I was, I was taking one for the team, mate. I had to you take were. one for the team when I was doing the research <laughs> about Johnny G. And, Johnny G. And, wow. And, and he's forever going to be called Johnny G <laughs> from now on. Oh. As, as, as and it was Johnny G. And the, the way they spell Johnny is J-O-H-N-N-Y. I wouldn't have spent his. I wouldn't have spelt his Johnny like that. But that's there you go. very strange. Yeah, that's bizarre. So we we both would have agreed that Stuart Armstrong. Uh, we both would have said when we left the game that night, we would have fought John Gadetti. John Gadetti for me. Johnny G yep. would have had would have had a better career than Stuart Armstrong. 
Yeah. Never happened that way. Stuart Armstrong, for me, is like a testament of how hard work, dedication and talent gets you places. Producer Paul comes in, John equals Johnny, Jonathan, Johnny. <laughs> oh, that, that's, 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 my, that's producer Paul, e- editor head coming in there. If you, ever, if you ever get anything edited by, by producer Paul, you can where he's coming for then. And he, needs, <laughs> I, I, and he needs to edit my stuff quite heavily. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Um, so Stuart Armstrong had joined in that, that January 2015. Yes. And he, and he joined with his pal Gary Mackay Stephen. And it was very, it was very, very truthful. He was looking for a move to England. He didn't want to come to Celtic. He was he was looking for a move to England, but obviously Dundee United done the deal where we brought Gary Mackay, Stephen, and Stuart Armstrong at, at the same, same time. At, at, yeah. at the same time, I think I was probably more looking forward to seeing Gary Mackay, Stephen, than what it was Stuart Armstrong. But it's strange how things turn out. But Me I was Gar- at the time as well. I, I have to agree with that massively. I was. I loved his trickery, and I thought he's going to really excite the supporters. I thought. I, and in fairness, a lot of, if you, I had a few Dundee United fans who drank in the pub at the time. They were season ticket holders. I know it's a mile, million miles away, but they, they genuinely were. Um, and they all said to me, no, 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 Armstrong's the one that you wanted. And I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really watched enough, and they were like, oh, you've got him for a snip. I think he was £1.6 million. Pounds. I think in total, Brown Warrior comes in again and he says it was a good deal, about £2.5 million. I think it was about 2.75 for the two of them. I don't think that I don't think it was ever put in how much we spent on on both of them. Right, uh, it, was uh, it might be, it might be, but he was looking for a move to England. That was always his ambition was to move to the English Premiership. I met Stuart Armstrong at a night at the Kerrydale Suite. Uh, it was a Celtic Quick News charity night, and he was he was the guest the honour. He had just signed, and. I remember getting told to go across and speak to him because he was just hanging about waiting to do the presentations and all of that. And I must admit, he's only football it's ever only footballer that's ever asked me what I did for a living. It was the only one that was interested really? in what I, oh, what I did for a living. It was a night he was a nice fella. Uh, on the pitch he had good intelligence for a midfielder, he had a good physicality, uh, great energy. He could get box to box quite easily yep. and he, he could shoot for the, end, the edge of the box and that came to the fore of Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers' invincible season, a true invincible season uh, when he scored a number of screamers from the edge of the box. That, that's where he came into his own and for me, for me his best goal was a cup final. We had just lost the goal to Johnny Hayes. Aberdeen never touched the ball again, and he strokes one in at the bottom corner. Brilliant hat. Brilliant hat. But yeah, I, th- I think with Armstrong, I mean, I think he's went on to Southampton. I think he's certainly proved himself to be Premier League quality. Um, I think he's, it's a shame because I just don't see, I think he's 29 now, something like that. I, I don't see him getting that next move up, up the ladder, if I'm being honest. You. I think he'll need to settle for. Southampton or a sideways move, maybe a Newcastle. He could maybe, I don't know, play in front of more fans might entice him. But again, similar in sort of league standings. I actually think Armstrong was capable of better than Southampton. If I'm being honest, yeah, I, I think he's. Uh, I think, like you say, he's a very intelligent player. And I think the better that the the players around him, the better he can perf- perform. 
Um, he's certainly not found goals and to, hard to come by in the English Premier League either. Fair play to him. Not at all. I think he's become a respected player in that Southampton, yep. you know, Southampton side. And he had, a, he had a poor start while he adjusted. I think he got injured as well. But when you look at him now, he's one of the first names on that Southampton team sheet. And again, I'm going to put that down to Brendan Rodgers. I'm putting that down to Brendan Rodgers, who, yes, he always wanted to play. Stuart Armstrong always thought he had the ability to play in the Premiership. And I maybe agree with you now, Southampton might be his level. But as you say, he'll get, he'll, he'll get like a, a, you called it a sideways move, but it'll be an expensive sideways move. It mm-hmm. will be like, it'll be a move that will set him up for life. He's pretty, he is already set up for life. With the move to Southampton. But, I do like players that leave Celtic and go down to the English League and boss it. Oh, it doesn't matter what level it is because it looks good for us as a football club that this player yep. went down there for a snap seven million pounds. Like, like when you look at some of the players, if you transfer a championship player to a Premier, I mean, there's players go for League One to the Championship for seven million pounds. There's there's no many players go down there and become. A first team player in that um in a mid table side in the English Premiership for seven million pounds. Oh, no, uh, it's very unusual. I, I like it, and I, I think a lot of people actually say we we've discussed it plenty of times in the bulletin. I think Ryan Christie sees Stuart Armstrong and fancies a bit yet. Yeah, I think it's been discussed before. Apparently, that's. You know, that there's some sort of he's been, you know, advised or something like, you know, I think they're Pally and Armstrong's maybe sold him on the move. I think the one thing I would say for Christie is I think he could be very disappointed if he thinks he'll be going to Southampton. I don't see it personally. I really don't. I mean, my judgment's only, only, only my own, of course. And I'm sure there's other people in the, in the know or, or, or that have a better eye for a footballer than me. But I, I think if he goes down there, if he's in the Premier League, it'd be a Burnley. Um, something like that. I think most likely, I think Ryan Christie will find his in the championship next year, though, if I'm being totally honest to you. Well, uh, obviously, it looks like Celtic have no clarified that we've probably made a mess of his contract, so he's free to sign with anybody oh. in, in the summer there. Eh? And what Ryan Christie's probably looking for is a decent Euros, a decent show in Celtic, uh, with Scotland and the three games that he's going to get in the Euros. And he would hopefully get that Euros bounce, which sometimes sees players going to clubs that they should never point. get should should never get near. Cal That's a good point. Cal Proboski, probably one of them. <laughs> <laughs> How many players do you see after tournaments ending up at big clubs? Ah, uh, Shavin. Aye, aye. Uh, Shavin. You, you mean that, that? That's a good shout. That is a really good shout. What, what? What I think the main difference between Armstrong is Armstrong had that physicality. Even mm-hmm. when he was up here, he was built well. But when he went down there, the English Premier League is a completely different game from Scotland, and you've got to bulk up again, and you've got to be that physical and You've got to have the physicality and the athleticism, and that's something Ryan Christie for me is going to find difficult. Mm-hmm. When he goes down, I think Armstrong had a better base to make that jump up. Yeah, uh, I think what, that's Ryan Christ, what Ryan Christie's got, got, uh, is going to find. But for me, I think we missed Ryan. I think we missed Stuart Armstrong when he when he yep. left. I think we have. 
I mean, he did tail off in the 2017-2018 season, but I think Celtic did as well at that point. But he, he, made, he made his intention clear when he only signed a, a, a one-year a one deal. A, a, a one-season extension, eh? But you have a look at that. If, if we go to the Euros, and we, me and Russell have discussed this, we are going to do some Euro-themed schema sellers when it gets to that point during the summer. And we are going to look at some tournaments and that, eh? But you look at that Scotland midfield, You've got Stuart Armstrong playing really well in the Premiership. You've got John McGinn. I need to mention John McGinn and that will cause folks wailing in national teams and doing really well in the Premiership as well. I mean, I mean, it's like Scotland have got a decent workman like midfield. Ryan Fraser as well, doing well for doing well for Newcastle. But what's really strange is Ryan Christie gets in before Stuart Armstrong and Steve mm. Clark's Scotland side which I find really bizarre. That might change right enough, eh? But I'm looking for, I'm pleased for Stuart Armstrong. I'm actually hard pleased for Stuart Armstrong because he was a nice fat guy. He done well for us for that season. He's got he's, he's always going to be welcome back at Celtic Park because he's an invincible treble winner. Sure. He I, is I think that's fair. Whereas John Gadetti could have been a hero. John John Gadetti could have been a Celtic hero and he blew it and went to Celta Vigo and he's played a total of 96 minutes this season that's wow. the tale that's the tale of a modern day footballer eh? yep 100% it is, it is let's go into music well, we already mentioned music with Johnny G, the Gadetti song, number, oh, one, number one in Sweden in 2015 that's so, actually what I was going to cover Oh, was it? Oh, I've, just, I've just ruined your moment, mate. Right, number one in the charts. I mean, there was slum pickings this week, eh? Absolute slum pickings, what we were, uh, yeah. talk, what we were going to talk about. I mean, uh, the, the, there was two games that me and Kev discussed. The first one, the highlights reel was abominable. I mean, it was like impossible to watch. And then the second one... The charts, wow. Like 2015, April time was a bad, bad month for music, mate. It was. It was. It's one of those post Christmas where bands are throwing out albums and it's, oh. the charts are full of stuff that folk have got iTunes vouchers and that and have bought that have been released the previous years uh, the previous year the charts is full of that um, in the charts the single charts number one was Love Me Like You Do by Ellie Golden I I know nothing about that song can't even bother with her rubbish um, I, I know nothing about that song at number three was Uptown Funk another dreadful bit of just gets on just yeah I just think that's that's like listening to, I don't know, some sort of Michael Jackson song or, or, or some sort of, you know, happy Motown song and thinking you can put it all together in a wee pop format and get called the best producer of all time. Absolute nonsense. That Matt Ronson can take a run and jump. Hopeless. It's, it's, it's dreadful. Utterly dreadful. Still played. <laughs> still played now on, on certain radio stations that if you're unlucky to be in the car and they're on. At number ten, this this really this really surprised me. Go on. End it by the weekend, and I'll tell you how it surprised me. 
I had never heard of the weekend to the Super Bowl halftime show uh, in January, the, no, February, the first week in February. There. Uh, I can't believe the weekend six years old. I can't believe he was in the charts six years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I would have thought they were a wee bit more modern than that. I've never really listened to them, to be honest, but they're a big band, like. Well, it's one person. It's one guy. It shows you how much you can about him. It's the guy who's actually I've heard of them. the weekend. <laughs> oh, as I say, I had never heard them at a half time. What's the chances of that, man? What yeah. is the chances of that? I had never heard them at the Super Bowl half time <laughs> show. I'm going, who is this guy? I, 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 I don't know who this guy is. The album charts in the lonely hour by Sam Smith. I know nothing about that either. Nothing. Uh, number two was X or Multiply by Ed Sheeran. Now, again, Ed Sheeran's massive. He's like a busker and plays an acoustic guitar at stadiums. But Dreadful. again, again, it's an album I haven't got a clue about. And Dreadful. Number three is If You're if you are reading this, it's too late be Drake. Again, I'm completely lost. Not, not a clue. I, I've, I'm completely lost about that. So, Russell, what album that you're going to talk about this week? I've been delighted with my choice this week, Kev. Now, Definitely. It was actually released in April the, the year before, but it must have done, done better than I thought because it was still in the charts like a year later on and it was... As we said, it was slim picking. So I was like, I know it didn't come out then, but it was still relevant. It was in the charts in April 2015. I think it was around number 2530. Uh, Caustic Love by, is that how you pronounce it? Caustic? Aye, Caustic Love. Caustic Love by Paolo Nutini. Listen to it today doing the Hoovering. Outstanding album. Outstanding and so much better. We've done a lot of revisionism. It's a lot better than I remember it getting. I know it says, like, when you read the reviews critically acclaimed and stuff, this album is a lot better than I remember it getting the credit for at the time and is a lot better than I probably gave it uh, credit for at the time. Um, it starts as it means to go on with, with Scream and then there was two songs that I really liked and that was Better Man, which I know is a wee bit slower and cheesy, but he delivers soul on it, man, and that's the difference. It just comes over so genuine and real. It's amazing. And then the other one is One Day, I think. Oh. What's it called? One Day? I've got the track list. Aye, One Day, track number four. I blew my head off hearing that again. I remember that getting played in the jukebox. I'd forgotten about that. So I got right into the Spotify elite playlist today, Kev. I tell you, that outstanding tune. Um, I know Iron Sky was obviously much fetid at the time, but it was, I mean, again, having that on the on the old headphones a day, I was lost in it. I, I listened to the full thing, track 1 to 12, uh, 13, uh, my sight's terrible. And uh, I'll be honest, there's there's a couple of fillers. There's one of those tracks that's like really short, like a minute long. That mm-hmm. does my head in, to be honest to you. That aside, I thought, I thought at times it was reminding me a bit of Amy Winehouse sort of vibes I was getting. I know the production's very heavy. I know we're talking about Amy Winehouse uh, recently, so I'd listen to a wee bit of her. And I was getting a wee bit of vibes of that with the bass lines and stuff. It was very, very good anyway. I loved it. It is a very, it's not an album that I own, but it's an album that played a major part in my life because my wife is a major Paolo Nathini fan. And we went uh-huh. to New, we went to, we went down to Newcastle to see him 
on on this the Caustic Love Tour. I think it was open the night of his tour in Newcastle, and he opened up with Scream, and it was fantastic. He put on a great show. Yeah. The guy, the guy can chant. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's a very, very talented guy, and a and a a world which is full of successful people who are not as talented as uh, and soulless, mate. Soulless. Uh, he has soulless guy. He has. He, as you see, he's a bit real. He keeps it. He's very, very grounded for yep. a guy that's is so talented. And 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 he, and he plays like he plays like the sort of what, what can I say? The stoner uh, image very, very well. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, sort of, the sort of laid back. Uh, that I'm not really bored about this, and and he's got a voice like that. And it, it, when you see a number of. Nantini wannabes now kicking about. If you ever watch any of the reality TV shows, you see folk trying to be like, like basing their act on Nantini, trying to be basing their voice in that on Nantini. And and as somebody says in the comments here, Michael the boy, he's a right good Celtic man as well. Well, always helps, doesn't it? Always helps. Come on, for as long as I've been doing Scream Celica and also like a Celtic state of mind, all the talented talented folk for Scotland are tums. It's a proven fact that if you've got any talent in Scotland, you're a tum. That's it. It is a proven proven fact, apart from us two sitting here. Um, Well, uh, it's hard to argue with that. I saw I saw him doing I saw him doing it at Newcastle. Then he headlined Teen in the Park as well, and I saw him doing that set Teen in the Park. I think that would have been two thousand and fourteen, maybe two thousand and fifteen. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, but where has he been? That was his last album. That I was know. six years. That was six years I ago. Know. It's 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 quite frustrating actually when you think of someone that's capable of the music that he is capable of. And I think that album was such an... Uh, you were watching him evolving as an artist as well, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was definitely a more mature album, I think, in terms of the, the type of music it was. Um, I liked the road he was going down, do you know what I mean? I think it was... it was He was going slightly off the course he'd been on, which was maybe more mainstream-ish, with a lot of still real good songs involved. This was definitely, I felt, an album he wanted to make. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he's done anything to appeal to the charts with this at all. In terms, no, not at all. Not he's going to let the music do the talking. And I think that's very much, you could hear, like, the future of Pilonitini being begun and then uh, nothing since. It's a wee bit, what's happening here? Because I think he was in the cusp of, he could have had a, you know, well, I'm sure he'll come back. I mean, I'm sure he'll come back, but the sooner the better anyway. Come on, Paolo. In fact, I come on, scream a celica, Paolo. Right, come on, come on, come on, come on. Play us a, play us a wee tune, man. Come on, <laughs> we'll get you in the studio, play us a tune. As you all say, right. that album was of, I mean, you, you couldn't keep on doing these streets hour and hour again, or uh, Jenny, don't be hasty. He's done that, so he's went a sort of darker way, and it was one an artist that size can actually get away with it and still keep his audience because it, it's such a massive, such a good album. It's such a good album. Um, but it does make you wonder where he is going, where, where, where he is going next. Paul in the comments says he was recording in Dublin last year. Fantastic. Um, the Daily Record told me the day when I Googled him that he's bought a house in Paisley as well. That, 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 that used to be a yoga studio. 
I mean, that's, cool. that's the kind of tip bits that you actually want. Uh, and I think the, the last couple of times that you've seen him since he stopped touring that album, what you've got to remember as well, Russell, I think he toured that album solidly for two years. Yeah. So, so it's, a four year, it's a four-year gap as opposed to... Aye. I mean, like of, of, do you know what I mean? He's not been away the full seven years. He's only been away maybe four or five of those years do you know what I mean five of those years and one year's been under lockdown and you don't know how he works you don't know if the band's been in with him or anything like that eh? so it could just be that he's just he'd maybe drop something this year who knows aye who, who knows? knows hopefully fingers aye, crossed hopefully Paolo get yourself on here get yourself on a state of mind get yourself on stream of Celica didn't bother about anybody else's show just get on a stream of <laughs> We called it first. It's uh, we called it. We bags it. We bags it. Powder, <laughs> um, the album that I'm going to speak, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak about is they're one of the stalwarts of the the British indie scene, um, and this is a twelfth studio album. Twelve albums. It's the Charlatans with Modern Nature. I love the Charlatans. I've loved the Charlatans since. I saw mm-hmm. then on would have been the chart show, I think. No remember well, you won't remember this. It was a programme on a Saturday morning called The Chart Show, which basically played videos. And it was before what was the one Ant and Deck done with Cat Dealy? What was that show called? Was that they they done a sort of they done a sort of pop they done a sort of chart show. SMTV, that was it. It was before that, and basically the chart show used to go to the indie charts and play stuff by the fall. And so every Saturday morning, you would get some bizarre band appearing on primetime mm-hmm. kids' TV. And I remember watching the Charlatans on that day and then, and I'm going, that's decent, it's very psychedelic. I liked the organ, I, like, I really loved in Spiral Carpets at that time. I was buying the NME and so obviously fell in love with the Charlatans. But as the Charlatans have moved away from that, what's great about the Charlatans is it's one of these bands that fashion doesn't even seem to matter to. They just keep on going and they keep on producing decent albums like... Again and again. Somebody in the comments said, James, James McCann mentioned James, a great band as well. The Charlatans are like James. They're both from the Giller. Just stole, honestly, little what I was just about to say was, could you say they're quite the equivalent to what we were talking about last week surrounding Aye. James? Aye. I can't believe you have just done that. I was literally on the tip of my tongue saying that. Mad. Well done, James, mate. Both disappeared. Have we? I can um, still um, see it ticking along. They've disappeared for me there, sorry, sorry. Uh, aye, they're exactly like James. They're one of these bands, when you have a look at their later career as well, it's just as good as their earlier career. Sure. Uh, it's, just, it's just as good as their earlier career. And, I mean, this is a, the Charlton's 12th studio album, and they've had another three since then. And they're releasing another one this year. They've just announced a 31st anniversary tour with a gig in Glasgow on the 18th of December uh, at the O2 Academy, which will be quite weird. And Russell's disappeared from me, so I'll just keep on talking. This was the Charlton's first album since their drummer, John Brooks, unfortunately died from a from a, a brain tumour. Oh, 
I'm getting Paul's coming in now. What's going on here? I just uh, I thought I'd sit in. I know I'm not as good looking as Russell, uh, and I don't dress as well. But I thought I'd come in because he disappeared. I didn't want you oh, getting lonely, Kev. Oh, that, that, that's that's perfect, Paul. You kind of like you kind of like somebody to talk to. What do you think of the charlatans, Paul? Again, this will be a subject right up your street. I've I've always been a massive fan. The thing with the charlatans, I'd, it's one of the bands I remember my big sister. My big brother had been into it when I was a wee bit too young to actually buy my own music. And then um, it was almost just like that procession where you got into them, seen them live loads of times, um, mainly in Glasgow, but I went down to Newcastle to see them, seen them in Aberdeen. They always get called survivors, don't you? Don't they? Because of all the, the heartache and all the rest of it. But uh, Russell, Kevin is frozen. I thought I would just keep your seat warm. <laughs> I'll, I appreciate I'll, it, mate. I'm just, I don't know. I disappeared as well. I don't know what happened, man. I'm I banging on that, about the charlatans there. Yeah. Aye, good band, mate. Good band. A lot of longevity. Well, the, the thing that Kev was saying is like their their kind of more recent uh, material has to be explored. My favourite album of all time, Charlatans album, is the eponymous The Charlatans. But I love telling stories uh, mm-hmm. as well, and some friendly. I still listen to some friendly. So, mm-hmm. aye, brilliant, superb. Um, and you know, there was there's been so many times where you thought the band could have split up, but they just keep going on, and hopefully that will continue. I like his name, but he's oh, sorry. I was going to say, I can't tell when you're going to talk, Kev. You see, it's just a blank screen. <laughs> You've just got this massive green contraption coming out your mouth, Kev. I've just got a black screen. It's just black at my, I don't know. But I was going to say, I like how he's reinvented as well. Like the, the whole, this whole listening party he's brought into play as well, Tim Burgess, which shows that he moves with the times so well. Do you know what I mean? Like he's smart enough to go, right, how could we connect everyone during lockdown? He just gets everyone on Twitter to put on an album at the same time and then all use the same hashtag mm. and comment on it. And I think that's such a, such a, like a, it's, it's still so simple, but just shows that a guy is still very much, you know, at the, at the front of uh, knowing how to keep an audience um, in mind. See, for me, he's a national treasure. Uh, as you say, he's reinvented his cell, he's reinvented his look, he, and, and the band have reinvented themselves as well after numerous, numerous setbacks. I mean, I mean they lost the original, they lost the original uh, keyboard player uh, yep. to uh, a car crash, and they also armed robbery. He ended, he ended up in jail for being a getaway driver in a post office raid, which he actually admits that <laughs> he didn't know nothing about. Um, so this album as well, and then they lost their drummer just before this album. So the drums on this album are, play, are, are played by uh, Gabe Guernsey from a f- fantastic band called Factory 4. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Stephen Morris from New, Under- from New Order also plays drums on this album for them. And Pete Salisbury from The Verve also plays drums on, the, on this album wow. for them. Uh, so Pete Salisbury is actually now their live drummer. Uh, from right, the okay. uh, so anytime you go, anytime you go to see the Charlottes, it's Pete Salesbury. It's on the drums. Uh, I went to see them when they were doing this tour at, at the, the the Usher Hall, and I must admit, I've never seen such a doer Edinburgh crowd since Love Street, nineteen eighty six. The the the, the, <laughs> the, the, the were at, the the, the were actually filming this gig 
for obviously a DVD release, and it's never seen the light of day. And I'm really? not surprised. I'm not surprised it's ever seen the light of day. For me, this is one of their better later albums, and they deserved a better crowd that night. This gig should have been in Glasgow. I'm going to show my West Coast bias here, but if this gig had been in the Barrowlands, it would have been brilliant. But the fact is, it was a Monday night in the Usher Hall, and it was mm-hmm. complete. It was complete and utter flat. Um, I think we're suffering from technical difficulties. Difficulties here, Russell. So I think I've. Play. It's been another good show, mate. It has been another good show, but I think we be as well calling it a night. Subscribe. I'm pointing up and down, but I've probably frozen, so I don't care if I've frozen or no. Eh? Subscribe. So, subscribe <laughs> down below. Tell your pals. Tell folk that you didn't like about us. And everybody, calm down. Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.